Hey, welcome to episode number one of season two. We did it. We're on season two now of the Daniel Floyd Leadership Podcast, where we are all about inspiring leaders to become more. I'm so excited to be back with you. And we're kicking off this season with a good friend of mine, Pastor Stephen Chandler. Stephen Pastors Union Church. It's based out of Maryland. And it's the result of a merger between a church he planted in 2011 called Destiny Church and I-5 City Church. We're going to get into that here in this conversation. He's also a husband, a dad. He's an author of a brand new book that just released called Stop Waiting for Permission. It's available wherever books are sold. encourage you to grab that. And I think you're going to learn a lot from his wisdom on faith-filled risk-taking, on transition, and on leading open-handed. You know, as always, we'd love it if you would rate, review, share with a friend, or leave a comment. It helps so much. And if you want show notes and a discussion guide with every episode you can use with your team, as well as exclusive leadership content sent straight to your inbox, head over to danielfloyd.org. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hey, welcome to the Daniel Floyd Leadership Podcast. I'm so excited today to have my friend, Pastor Stephen Chandler with us. He pastors Union Church, which is an amazing story. We're going to get into that a little bit. I think you'll find some leadership gold in there. He's married to his wife, Zai. They lead together. He's a brand new author, and he's always the best dressed guy in the room. <laughs> if you know him, you know that's true. Thanks for being on the podcast, Stephen. Man, I am, I'm honored to be here. Let's start at origin story. I love starting at the beginning. Okay. Union has a really cool story, but... Back up, Destiny Church. Mm -hmm. Back up before that. New Life International Fellowship Church of God. Come on. <laughs> Name so long it couldn't even fit on the church van. So you grew up in the home of a pastor. Yep. So pastor's kid. I, I was the stereotypical 1990s pastor's kid. I mean, homeschooled, focused on the family, soccer player. I mean, it was salty, just... Salty, the singing song. Group. Listen, I grew up to Salty Come and on. Carmen and kids These and all that other good stuff. They don't know anything about that, <laughs> Sandy Patty. Get out of here. So that, you know, that was, the, that was the childhood. And, you know, I'm so grateful for it because my parents pastored a smaller church. It never was over 100 people, never received a salary from the church. So from young, I was trained that serving in the house of God is what Christians do, That's that great. it wasn't a career. It wasn't like, you know, this is where I get paid from. It's like, no, because we love God, this is what we do. I played bass, and then I stunk at that, so they kicked me off of that. <laughs> then I played drums, and I wasn't good there, so I got kicked <laughs> off of there, and then ended up playing piano. Ended up leading worship for my dad uh, for seven years, which is hilarious that. because I can't sing. So <laughs> it's like, how do you lead worship when you can't sing? And I always say, I know it. And anybody who's a singer, they'll know what I'm talking about. I know what the no fly zone is. Mm -hmm. And that is you have no business being up there because you don't have the range. You don't know the vocals. I know how to stay right in that safe spot, right where That's I need great. to be. But it was really in that season that I learned the presence of God mm -hmm. and just fell in love with God's house. Fast forward, I was 23 years old, and I was the student pastor, uh, which is a, a very generous term at a church of 50 people. <laughs> I was student pastor, executive pastor. I did everything. You're small group leader. Yes, yeah, small group leader. <laughs> and uh, you, you know when the grace is lifted. 
And it just was the season where I'm like, man, it's just time for me to see what God has next for me. I was at a family church, so you, you don't leave a family church and go to the other church across town. <laughs> so I came up with this idea. I was like, maybe if I go to Bible college, they can't be mad if I go to Bible college. Like, that's an honorable discharge. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it was like the prodigal. I rehearsed my, my, my conversation with my dad like 10 times. And here's what I'm going to tell him. And here's what I'm going to do. And he happened to be out of town at the time. And uh, when he got back into town, we sat down. I was like, Dad, I have something to tell you. And he said, actually, I have something to tell you first. You know me. I got a big mouth. I got a lot to say. It's rare that I let other people talk first. For the first time in my life, I was like, okay, you go first. Well, long story short, my dad had just come back from the first Grow Conference ever at Church of the Highlands with Pastor Chris Hodges, our pastor. Wow. And he said, Stephen, you know, I just came back from this phenomenal conference. And I feel called by God to relaunch this church. We're, we're, we're not doing it right. I think we could be a lot more effective in the community that we're in. The only thing is he was exhausted. And then my mom was battling cancer over the last, honestly, 10 years and beat it and remission and came back and all that. And he said, I really feel like God's calling me to spend time taking care of your mom. How do you feel about becoming the senior pastor of the church? And, and the funny thing is, after he says that, then he goes, oh, by the way, what did you want to tell me? I said, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. I got nothing to say. And, you know, it was, it was a complete shock. I was 23. I was single. Being a senior pastor was the furthest thing from my mind. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it came up, it was just like, oh, my gosh, is this what God was showing me and preparing me for? I got installed as senior pastor January 2011. And uh, I was smart enough to know I didn't know what I was doing. So I reached out to an organization we all know, ARC, the Association Mm -hmm. of Related Churches. And I said, hey, I know you guys are church plant, but I have a relaunch. Uh, Would you consider taking us on? And they said, no, we don't do young, we don't do single, and we don't do relaunches. (laughs) I said, great. When do we start? (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, you're a pastor's kid. You're kind of that type A personality. I don't understand what no means. Just tell me how we're going to make this happen. (laughs) And I'm so grateful because as they were, you know, you sit in front of the committee and they kind of review your launch and all that. And God just put an advocate for us on that board. Mm. And later uh, he said, man, God just said, believe in this kid. God's going to do something great in his life. So great. So they took us on. um, And September 11th. 11th, 2011, we launched or relaunched as Destiny Harvest Church. And we still had a little bit of the 90s stuck on us. And uh, I mean, it was revival. We went from 50 people to 331 people showing up on launch day. I was like, man, this is going. Watch out, Craig (laughs) Rochelle. I'm coming for you, Furtick. It's over. (laughs) And within 10 weeks, we went from 331 to 70 people. I was like, listen, we're going to be closed by Christmas. (laughs) Forget fastest growing. This just turned into the fastest decreasing church in history. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that you retain like 50% of your launch day and all Mm -hmm. that. And after the first 12 months, we had leveled out at 150 people, just added 100 people every year up until 400 and just stalled out at 400 for three years. Like it didn't matter how well I preached, how horrible it was. We couldn't grow Mm -hmm. and we didn't decrease. And I, I learned in that season that before God can do something through you, he wants to do something in you first and went through this whole process and all that. And we'll get to more of that later, but that's kind of the launch and start. Let's talk a little bit about that. There's so much to pull out of that story. Besides I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's a group of people that have trusted your dad's leadership mm-hmm. for years. Yeah, yeah. A prophet's without honor is hometown. Sometimes if you're familiar to the people, it's hard to lead the people. Were there challenges there? If so, what were they? What'd you learn in that? Daniel, why are you asking me crazy questions? <laughs> Who's going to watch this podcast? So let me tell you this awkward story and... Hopefully the wrong people don't watch this. <laughs> so like the ordination services in January, right? Uh-huh. And different pastors came. Oh, wow. I've never told this story in public before. <laughs> so they're praying over me and the overseers are like, hey, we want everybody in support of Stephen to come oh, forward and to lay hands on him. Daniel, nobody moved. <laughs> Not one soul. <laughs> and later, you know, my, my dad's people, a lot of them are still at the church. That's and they taught me what loyalty means, which mm. blows my mind. And I had a conversation with some of them. And I'm like, why'd y'all do me like that? Like, why did you move? And, and, and one lady said, because we didn't have to prove that we were with you. We've wow. been here from the beginning and we'll be here till the end. And I was like, oh, well, you could have told me that before you didn't move. <laughs> But, you know, I I was young. I I was not Mm -hmm. the most mature. So I went in there and I changed everything instantly. I mean, I changed the name. I trashed their ferns. I ripped the flags off (laughs) the the wall. I mean, it was was just, I mean, one day you walk in and it's new life. And the next day you walk in and it was Destiny Harvest Church. And I think I learned a lot about transition from doing it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And as we'll get on the story, I had another shot at it. And I did a little bit better the second time. But I, I, I pulled the pin on the grenade, threw it in there and blew it all up and 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 God was gracious enough and my dad's members were mature enough yeah. to say hey he's young and dumb but he has a good heart let's follow him <laughs> and see where this goes so I so, did not do it right so the, first the principle time. is if you're given leadership over <laughs> something maybe don't change everything the first day honor yesterday yeah before you declare about tomorrow that's great and I just came in with so much vision for tomorrow and and, and here's the problem for maybe you know the church planner that's coming into the new city and they're so excited about mm-hmm. what God's gonna do or you know the new pastor that's coming in or the new associate pastor over a department you're not the first yeah and you won't be the last. Like, it's great that you have a vision, and it's great that God will do something great through your life, but he wouldn't be able to do what he's doing through your life if somebody else hadn't plowed the field Mm -hmm. and made a way for where you're going. And even if you're going to change everything, you lose nothing by honoring what happened in the past. And that was learning the hard way, not not from great leadership experience. All right. So let's fast forward. Destiny is growing. You've, I remember when we first met, it was an event at, I think, Dale O'Shields place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maryland. And you guys were moving, I think you were moving locations. You Mm -hmm. were moving a pretty good distance. So you begin to adopt some of these model principles of this conference your dad goes to. Mm -hmm. Was that a, a whiplash for the people? Was that unusual in your context? I mean, what was normal, how we did thing was two and a half hour services. So (laughs) it was a complete cultural shift. I didn't do everything wrong. And I think one of the things that I did do right was not take a poll or a survey Mm -hmm. of where we should go. And because 
we follow the ARC principles and, and really learn from some phenomenal churches, it was successful. I mean, we were 50 to 75 people for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then after the first 12 months, we were triple the size. Right. And I think because people came and were getting saved and lives were being transformed, those seasoned members of the churches were more likely to buy into the changes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know about this small group thing. Wait, you have 50 men in small groups? Okay, I like small groups. Yeah. Huh? Are we going to do baptisms once a month? Wait, we baptized 90 people this year? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And I think as lives were being transformed and they were seeing people saved, mm-hmm. they bought in heart and soul. That's great. Fruit. So fruit. Fruit. Produces yeah. buy-in. You, you could take a risk. You just got to be right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to produce. <laughs> and if you're right and it works, and it and not that it works, that it's kingdom results. Yeah. When, yeah. when your risk bring kingdom results, people will say, okay, I can follow this guy because clearly God's hand is on their life. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about this merger. Okay. So how did all that come about? Our mutual friend, Jimmy Rollins, was pastoring I-5 City in the same region, but you start a conversation. Yeah. Take us back there. So me and Jimmy Rollins, he was a senior pastor of I-5 City Church. Uh, Our churches were probably about 20 minutes apart. And we met in Jacksonville, Florida at an ARC conference. (laughs) So we were in the same city, but we had to go out of town to actually meet. And we've been friends for probably about 10 years of just kind of being in the same rooms and same places and all that and kindred spirits. He's a phenomenal golfer. I'm a horrible golfer. (laughs) So that means that we have a lot in common. (laughs) And um, we were having conversations honestly, for a number of years of particular Jimmy saying, man, I have this church that I love and I love these people, but I really feel God has laid something else on my heart. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to pursue that. I don't know how to chase that down. And we were having those conversations and praying and just seeing what doors God would open. Well, we go through the pandemic where everything shuts down for, you know, a few months and then church starts getting back running again. I actually had a vision. I have these like open visions. And I saw basically a vehicle that the wheels were out of alignment. And because the wheels were out of alignment, the tires were wearing down faster than they should Mm. if they were in right alignment. I called Jimmy up and I said, man, I don't know if this means anything. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual or anything like that. But man, I think you're out of alignment of what God's called you to do. And that's where the energy and the exhaustion and all that's coming from. What would it look like if somehow we could bring these two visions together so that you can fully run in all that God's laid on your heart without any pressure of, am I neglecting you know, what right. I did in the past season? And then somehow I could be a launch pad for you to do all that God's called you to do. That started talks of what would it look like to bring these two churches together. It's one of those things and. Uh, you know I'm ignorant, so I always say stuff I'm not supposed to. <laughs> but when people found that two pretty large churches, both over a thousand people, yeah. were merging together, changing their names and all that, they're like, oh, this is amazing. This is kingdom. This is going to be a model for America. And I'm like, eh. I don't know about that. <laughs> this was just God. Right. Like me and Jimmy, we sat down and we had this, okay, let's have this non-negotiable conversation. Mm-hmm. Like what's your non-negotiables? What's mine? And let's see if this is even God. Daniel, it was like 30 minutes 
Jimmy was like, here's what God's laid on my heart. Here's what I can't budge off of. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, that's my heart. Well, here's what I can't budge off of. Boom, boom, boom. And Jimmy was like, that's my heart. And I'm like, okay, what else? He's like, I don't know. What else? <laughs> and, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Like that was the extent of the conversation. And we were like, I think this is God because there's no major, well, I've got to lay this down and this is, you right. know, I'm, and he wasn't, uh, it was, it was just the grace of God was on it. Now that said, just because it was a God thing and just because God's grace was on it doesn't mean it was easy Yeah. <laughs> because you have what you're familiar with. You have, mm-hmm. I dreamed about Destiny Church for the next 30 years. I didn't have a dream for a union church because I didn't right. even know that it existed. And the same for Jimmy. So there was a mourning period of, wow, everything that I dreamed about is not going to be the way that I dreamed it to be. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad. It's just different. different. And, you know, change yeah. is is a morning thing. And me and Jimmy and, and Zai and Irene, we went through that. And then we presented it to our staff. And they went through the same process yeah. of, wow, yeah. this is it's not really what we dreamed about. It's not bad. And I think one of the biggest things when change comes, a lot of times as visionaries, by the time we announce change, mm-hmm. even to our spouses or to our staff or to the church, we've been ruminating about yeah. it for days, weeks, yeah. months. We've gone through our own process. But when we announce it, we don't want anybody to go through a process. We want them to just be excited the second they hear it and take off running. And that's not really fair because that's not how we came to the vision that we're now presenting it. I heard somebody say this. I think that's a great point that when something is in your rearview mirror, it's just now in their windshield. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, wait, that's past us. We're gone. We're moving on to the next thing. And I think that's such a valid point to park on for a minute for a leader. All change is loss. Mm Mm-hmm even if it's good loss. yeah. And so because change is lost, loss creates pain. We can misjudge someone's buy-in yeah. because they're grieving the pain of the loss, which doesn't always mean they hate the gain. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's such a valid I'm point to anti. say. I'm not anti. Yeah. It's just give me a moment. I got to get over exactly. the fact that I'm burying you know, what I was dreaming about before. And I have to say, Jimmy and Irene were like phenomenal would be the understatement yeah. because they literally mapped out a process for the staff first and then the church of, hey, let's present this to them, give them time to mourn, talk about how it's God and how it's going to bless our city and transform mm-hmm. lives, but still take time to honor the real loss of what was, and they walked the churches through that process in a way that was just masterful. Wow. Talk about what was the significance of rebranding? Why not just I-5 becomes destiny? Yeah, I I think if that had taken place, it would have tripled the loss. Hmm. It it would not have felt, frankly, like a win for I-5. It would have felt like, man, we failed. We couldn't accomplish something. So somebody else had to come and save us. And that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. You had two phenomenal churches that were having a phenomenal impact in the city. And I really wanted something that celebrated what God was getting ready to do in the future instead of holding on to the past. And uh, it's so funny because Destiny Church members, they were like, wait, we're not going to be Destiny Church anymore. They did not like that at <laughs> all. I'm not the most emotional person. And I think for me, it was really like names are names. 
but the heart and the soul and the essence of what Mm -hmm. God is doing isn't tied to a name. It's tied to his presence. So as long as his presence is still on this, you can almost name it whatever you want to name it. It's going to be a phenomenal move of God. The rebrand allowed both churches to step into a new season. Have a fresh start. Have a fresh start. Yeah. It, it represented the newness of the two. For those who aren't in the faith space, mm-hmm. leading in the business world, I'm sure there's challenges there, but you're talking about emotions. My life was changed here. My children, like you're talking, it gets deep. I got deep. married here. Yeah. I had my first kids here. You helped me buried my parents here. I mean, it was like major life events. Yeah. yeah. So, in the middle of that, you're not just merging two churches, you're merging two teams, mm-hmm. staff teams, volunteer teams. You're merging two cultures, even though similar in approach, Yeah, each church has its own culture. Drastically different culture. So what did you learn about merging culture and the power of culture as you sought to bring these two things together? I think two major things that I learned. One, you always win when you're open-handed. So one of the things, I mean, I was a senior pastor of Destiny Church. I'm the senior pastor of Union Church. So it's going to tilt the most to our culture because in essence, I am our culture. But our culture wasn't perfect. There was some major things that we were missing. Fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you'd be surprised. I'm guessing Jimmy brought that. Yeah, I'm not that fun. Yeah. I'm intense. I like to move forward. I like progress. For me, winning is fun. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, I'm with you. We're the same. But, but not everybody has that personality. Mm-hmm. So Destiny Church was winning in some areas, and the staff was like, Pastor, when can we have some fun? <laughs> and I'm like, this is fun. We're winning. <laughs> And I five brought in, I mean, just a life, a levity, an enjoying of the journey that mm. we were drastically missing. And instead of saying, that's not who we are, here's our culture, we celebrated it because I knew, hey, we've got some major gaps that we've mm. got to fill in these gaps if we're going to be able to go the long haul. So along with the merge was a little bit of a recalibrating our culture mm-hmm. and saying, hey, what do we like and we're going to keep? And then what do we need to kind of use this season of transition to transition off some culture and to bring on some culture? Yeah. You said the church is going to lean towards who you are, mm-hmm. which it does. It so reflects the leader, good yeah, and yeah. bad, right? So the things we look at, we don't like. We have to look in the mirror and yeah. go, where's that in me? But embracing some of these that don't come natural to you, that would be an aspiring value. Mm-hmm. What were the things you put in to go taking the fun as an example, or maybe another value that where you're like, we got to get this. I-5 brings this. We all need to be a part of this, and I've got to live this out. So, for example, um, one aspect of bringing the fun, we have once a week staff meeting. Mm -hmm. And when Stephen was leading Destiny Church, staff meeting was, we're going to sing, we're going to scream in tongues, and then I'm going to have to give a leadership talk, (laughs) and you guys are going to get your act together, and then we're going to go back to work. (laughs) And the problem and with that is... I don't know. It sounds perfect <laughs> to me. So we're, we we start bringing the staffs together. And we start doing all staffs together even before the merge was public. Mm. Jimmy pulls me aside and he goes, hey, love how you're just teaching and teaching and teaching. <laughs> it's amazing. But uh, we do this thing at I-5 where we have shout outs and we celebrate people and celebrate past wins. What if we try that? I'm like, celebrate? 
what's that? Okay, let's try it. And they come out, and he actually he led the moment. And it was like, hey, let's let's shout out who had a big win or who was a big moment or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then they had like old school shouting music on a track. <laughs> So they said, you know, so-and-so just launched 30 connect groups at their campus. Woo! The whole room goes crazy. I wasn't a part of it because I don't do fun. So I'm sitting back, and I'm watching my staff, I mean, laugh so hard that tears are coming down their face. Mm. And I'm like, man, we've been missing this. Yeah. So now, 18 months later, every staff meeting before we sing Screaming Tongues and I Teach, we have shout outs and we play shouting music. And to see, I mean, 18 months later, still laughing, still screaming, running around the room, standing on chairs. So the system is we don't start staff meeting anymore without having that insert yeah. of fun. Yeah. Talk about merging teams. I'm imagining, did you have to rebuild executive team, leadership team? You're, yeah. you're bringing some staff. What are some things you learned about merging, not just culture, but individuals? Whenever you think about transition, merge, launching a new campus, launching a new service, or whatever it may be, think about those old Greyhound buses making a stop. People get off, mm. people get on, and people switch seats. And that's just what happens every time a bus stops. People get on, people get off, and people switch seats. And I think that's what took place and that's what needs to take place whenever there's forward progress. There's just certain people that God ordained them to be on that bus for this journey, and this is where God is calling them to get off. Mm -hmm. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we try to hold on so tight to people. You've got to be here until, you know, Jesus returns. But what if that's not God's plan for their life? And one of the things that I learned in transition is if people are transitioning off, honor them on their way out for what Mm -hmm. God has done in their lives up to this point and what he's getting ready to do in their lives in the next season that they're going to. So I think that's one. Um, Two is we switched some people on the bus. Hey, you were sitting here, but we think you're better suited here and you're more equipped there and all that. And then I think one of the best aspects of the transition is we brought on a lot of new staff, Mm. not staff from I-5 City, not staff from Destiny Church, but staff from other states and and other countries, actually. All they know is Union Church. All they know is Union Church. So they didn't have this nostalgia of, Mm. we used to do it this way or we used to do it that way. They were really only here for the vision that was ahead of them. Mm. So now, 18 months later, of our staff, about 60, 65% of them only know Union Church mm. and came from outside. And then the remaining 35% was I-5 City and Destiny Church. But the influx of just new life, new ideas, new energy, it was so healthy yeah. for really just bringing that transition together and getting it focused on what God is getting ready to do instead of what he did do. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to give people time to mourn but they're going to want to mourn too long. Hmm. There's a time to mourn the past. And then there's a time to, remember Moses died and he came to Israel. He said, okay, Moses is dead. It's time to go over now. And it's like, there's a mourning season, but then it's okay. It's time to cross over. Joshua, get up. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. It's time to work. That's great. I was talking with Alex Seeley on the podcast about this idea of transition and moving on. And uh, we were talking about how it takes a secure leader to view people on their team as an investment they're making 
that they may not reap in their own ministry, their own organization. Yeah. So meaning, obviously, they're going to add value. They're there, but they may be there for a season, and that's okay. And what they're gaining from you in that season may be what they need for the next thing that God has for them. Yeah. And so it goes back to, you were talking about culture, living open-handed. Yeah. I think it takes a real secure leader to live open-handed. Yeah. God gave me, and called a revelation about people a few years back. We understand the principle of sowing and reaping when it comes to money, mm -hmm. that God gives us seed and he gives us bread. The seed is to be sown and it brings back a harvest 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Mm -hmm. Well, I took that principle and applied it to people and realized that as I invest in people and I develop people, not just because I want something back from that person, but I'm really investing in the kingdom of God wherever mm -hmm. it goes. You know, God's word does not return void. Yeah. He will return a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I started watching this pattern throughout my church throughout the last 11 years or so. I'd bring somebody close. I'd invest in them. I'd pour into them. I'd pastor them, build them up, and then they'd leave. And sometimes it's three months, sometimes it was three years, but somebody would come new to the church. And I, you could call it just me being weird, but it, it's almost as, as, as if the new person reminded me of the person that left. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes same family makeup, same state that they came from or background or whatever it may be. And I would always see that the person that came, their leadership floor was the person who left leadership ceiling. And I would always say that person is the harvest for the seeds that I sowed in somebody else. And I thought. really believe, I, I think God pays you back for every person that leaves. Mm. As long as you're not holding them as their mind and, and right. they have to bring a harvest here. No, I'm sowing into the kingdom of God. You're going to see a return on that investment. Yeah, that's so good. I love that thought. Talk to us about your book, Stop Waiting for Permission. Stop Waiting for Permission. What's the thesis, big idea behind it? The big idea behind the book is that a big God does not make small people. So stop apologizing for ambition. Hmm. I feel like we have this culture in the church world, if I'd be honest, that I shouldn't desire to have influence. I shouldn't desire to be great. I shouldn't desire to do something large because what if that's not what God has for me? What if God called me to something small and invisible? I just need to be content there. I was reading scripture and this passage jumps out at me in Matthew 20. You know the story, James and John gets their mom to ask Jesus <laughs> if they could sit on his right and on his left when he comes into his kingdom. And right. I kind of poke fun at him and say, hey, if you need your mom to make the introduction, greatness is not in your future. <laughs> but Jesus looks at them and he doesn't rebuke them for their desire for influence. All the other disciples get infuriated. How dare you ask mm -hmm. for positions of influence in God's kingdom? Jesus never rebuked them for the desire for influence. He rebuked them for the path they wanted to take. He said, if you want to be great, make yourself servant of all. Mm. And here's what I take that as. Greatness is what God has for everyone. God's put gifting, genius, and talent in all of us. But the path to greatness is not the world's path. It's God's path. With it is woven in uh, my story 
of I never grew up in a large church. Mm-hmm. I never saw leadership on a large level and all that other good stuff. So I really had no vision in front of me for what God is doing through my life right now. Yeah, I kind of grew up thinking that to have great influence, you kind of have to be lucky. You know, I mean, you have to have preaching skills like Bishop T.D. Jakes or or the right pedigree or, Mm -hmm. you know, just be unusually intelligent or whatever. And you kind of just wait around for luck or a door to open or whatever. And through my journey, I've learned that people that are doing great things for God, whether in ministry or business or family or whatever, they didn't get there by just waiting around, lucking out, or having some unusual gifting. There were some repeatable principles and practices that they applied to their lives that actually moved them forward incrementally and brought them to places over time that they never thought possible. So it's really a step-by-step guide of how do I maximize all that God's placed in my life with a little sense of ignorance that comes with Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right, one last question. always end with this one. What do you think the greatest threat is for leaders today Mm. and then greatest opportunity for leaders today? I think the greatest threat for leaders is that leader. And I'll say it this way, a lack of Mm self-awareness. Because leadership is adapting to change. The one thing that we can guarantee is that change is inevitable. And if we get married to our personality, to our way of doing things, to our way of leading or interacting with people, when the change comes that we are here to adapt to, we could be so rigid and stubborn that we could end up missing the exact moment that God placed us there. So I think, I I just call it open-handed leadership, that I'm not holding tight onto anything, even my personality. Mm. I'm constantly living in a place where God, anything about me, the way I lead, my church, anything that you want to change, I'm open to it. I think the greatest opportunity is that change is inevitable. Mm. And Unpack that. This is not 2002. Yeah. This is not 1992. And it's certainly not 1982. We live in a completely different country. This world's values are different. Their ambitions are different. Their goals are different. And I believe what it's done is it's given the church and leaders in general an opportunity to impact and reach people in a new way, and I dare say a greatly effective way. And I think if we are able to see the change Maybe not before it happens. You know, no one saw the pandemic coming until it came. But once it comes, if we're quick to pivot and quick through prayer and wisdom and best Mm -hmm. practices, figuring out how can I best serve the new need that this change has created, you can see exponential growth and exponential progress by adapting and capitalizing on the change that's inevitable. That's great. I've loved the conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for being my friend. Thank you. Love you, man. 